Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right. Well, welcome to episode 119 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Coatsy, are you back with me, my friend? I am, Rich. Thanks for looking after the place last week, mate. I had a great time up on the Gold Coast uh, doing uh, doing Ignite, but it just wasn't a time where we could uh, mutually conveniently record anything, mainly because I was out, um, uh, let's say, entertaining our uh, our audience. I don't want to know the details of that <laughs> that entertainment, but I will tell you that we probably lost like at least fifty percent of our listenership just by like them having to just listen to me last week. But uh, anyway, no, you did a great job, thank you. And look, uh, if people haven't listened to last week's podcast, you should definitely jump on that. Rich is talking about some some very cool stuff that he's been up to, so uh, so check that out. Cool. Well, we have um, a super special guest this week for me. I, I joke around that I have a developer man crush on him, so we'll we'll keep you in suspense for a little bit and, and cover off some of the the weekly updates. Uh, in terms of things going on in the the Microsoft world, uh, there was a really good blog post by Richard Moe, who is the uh, product manager, the the partner product manager for Microsoft Teams, and so he did a, a good post on talking about like building a community and platform around Microsoft Teams. So I will tell you this, I've seen a lot of what's going on internally with Microsoft Teams, with the, the engineering teams that are working on both the, the actual product of Microsoft Teams, but the platform that developers are going to be able to build upon. And so now we have great things like tabs and blo- and bots and... Uh, connectors, but there's a number of other really cool things that are going to be coming, uh, and and I think there's going to be just a tremendous amount of momentum when this thing, you know, hits GA here very soon. I mean, we're very close to this thing getting um, to GA. So uh, if you're if you're a developer and and are a web developer, there's no reason you can't target this as another kind of canvas for uh, you know something that you're trying to deliver to users. It's a, a really cool capability. Absolutely. And a couple of things that really stood out for me, the idea of bots inside channels rather than just in one-on-one chats, very, very cool. So a bot being able to contribute to a conversation inside inside a channel with everyone that's going on, very, very neat. And the other concept is being able to deep link into particular items within a tab. So you can say, I want to go back not just to this tab, but to this part of the, the conversation or this part, this particular thing that's going on in the tab. Very, very neat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that's super cool. In fact, I, I'd love for them. I was joking around with them at one of our hackathons. I, I like that concept of deep linking, but like, I don't want to leave my conversation. I think it'd be really cool to be able to launch a like a, a, a detail item in a dialogue. Yeah, nice. Uh, you know, and kind of keep those side by side or a task pane. There's all sorts of things that this engineering team is in. I love you. <laughs> Wow, who was that? That might have been our man crush. That might have been our man crush. We may have given it away right there. Was that on the audio? (laughs) That was on the audio, and it's staying. So, (laughs) well, I was saying goodbye to my son as he's going to a concert. Sorry about that. Go ahead. I thought you were talking to us. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Evans. Yeah. (laughs) How freaking embarrassing! What an intro. All right, go through go through the rest of the update because I'm I'm really interested in hearing this because I'm I'm a huge fan of Teams right now. I think it's freaking amazing. So tell well, me now, more. Well, now we're, hear more about that. We're, we're we're done with that. I'm moving on, man. I'm moving on. So, um, another cool thing, yeah, another cool thing is uh, this is is also really neat. If you've ever tried to build an Office add-in in Visual Studio uh, on a on a a PC is usually we try to make that experience really smooth. Um, We've always tried to deliver the best experience in Visual Studio, but now Visual Studio Code is getting so popular that a lot of people don't like kind of the heavyweight IDE that you get with Visual Studio and just go with code. And what this is is the Office team has actually built this new capability where you can attach a debugger from a task pane. Um, And so this this is specific to Office 2016, for Windows, um, and there's a specific build number they talk about in the blog post, but uh, to me this is really neat. I mean, being able to easily attach to a debugger and trying to see what's going on client-side 
Um, if you've if you've tried to do this, uh, I mean, really the best way you could do it is use the uh, Office Online tools and actually add your add-in through Office Online, and then you could debug using you know whatever developer tools you had in your browser. But this makes it a little bit easier and and uh, to do it with the actual clients. Yeah, this is really neat. Um, I, I I think this is this is something that we've been waiting for for a while because. Getting that, making that connection, as you say, with the with the Windows the Windows clients is uh, has, has been problematic. I think is probably a, a pleasant way of putting it. Yep. Yeah, I love it. the The last update from uh, dev.office.com that we'll have a link to in the show notes is about building a remote advisor solution with Skype for Business. So this is something that you know we've continually tried to add more developer extensibility to Skype for Business. Uh, so we've, in last build, actually two builds ago, we started talking about things like a web SDK, and we made that to where you could actually use that web SDK with Skype for Business online, so actually doing it with, with Office 365. This is kind of going a little bit deeper into some of the kind of next channels that you're going to be able to do with Skype extensibility. So it goes more into some of the... Skype for Business app SDK um, and some of the interesting things you can do with it and more specifically how um, this is being used in certain industries like the healthcare industry. So um, of all my, on the Office Dev show that I do on Channel 9, of all the shows, the most popular one ever was on Skype for Business extensibility. Uh, So it seems like it's a pretty hot topic out there and hopefully people will read this post and see more about kind of our vision around being able to do things with that SDK. It's funny. This is one of the things I'm seeing so much of in the field as well. So I get asked about this concept of presence and the ability to integrate all of the capabilities of Skype into people's apps. So that's, uh, that, that's really exciting. And, you know, that's what people want. They want to be able to take advantage of the, of the great frameworks and technologies that are there behind the scenes. Building your own Skype uh, uh, infrastructure, Skype-type infrastructure, well, would take some time and probably wouldn't be as good as the one that already exists. So why would you do that? And the ability to, to tap into it is really important. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, love it. Very cool. So in in the blogosphere, I'll, I'm going to cover this first one here. Is, uh, this is one that, that is near and dear to my heart because I just, I've been doing a lot with the SharePoint framework and one of the first things that I ran into with the SharePoint framework was, well, what parts you can add a multiple to your page? And so uh, as I was building things where I needed specific IDs in elements that are going to be in that web part, um, I was like, well, how do I come up with unique IDs? And so I actually, like, if you look at my one of my more recent blog posts, I actually generated, I built, you know, it's like five lines, but I generated random IDs to put in my DOM. And sure enough, uh, Sahil Malik, he showed us the more elegant solution in a post that he did this week on using the SharePoint framework with Angular 2. Uh, so with Angular 2, you have to associate an app with, um, well, you, you have to, in a sense, associate a backend with your markup. And uh, you do that through uh, an app ID. And, and so he shows you how to do that here using some of the actual APIs of the SharePoint framework. So there's a this.context.instance ID that, man, I wish I knew it. When I was, <laughs> it makes my code feel clunky that I wrote, but uh, I'll go and refactor that. But uh, it's a really good post if you're into Angular and the SharePoint framework. I talked to Sahil a little bit, and he's going to be doing a lot more uh, posting about this. So uh, check that one out. Don't you love that feeling where you, where you spend a bunch of time getting something done and then later on someone points out to you that actually it already exists in the framework. I remember way back in the day I, I spent, uh, in fact, when I first started working, I, I spent about, I don't know, almost a week perfecting this this routine that took a, a string and turned the first letter of the string into a capital letter and then all the rest of the string into lowercase letters. Uh, and um, I, I proudly took it in and showed it to my colleagues. And, you know, they said, you know, in Foxpro there's this, uh, this um, function called proper which will do exactly that for you, and, and about 10 times as fast as you've done it as well. Uh, but, you know, that was it's, it's always good fun finding those things out after the fact. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's funny. Just to I'll give you a little bit of an inside story with this, I was building some of these samples for the Bot Framework team. Um, so if you, if, you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's from last week's show where I show how to embed bots contextually into the SharePoint framework. And so it's something that the Bot Framework team wanted me to actually produce and interestingly, when I showed them the code, they loved everything, but they were like, 
why in the world are you generating like dynamic IDs? And is there not like something out of the box to do that? And I was like, no, no, there's nothing. Uh, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but you know, web parts can be placed multiple times on places on a page. So yeah, I'm eating my words now. I'll have to go back and uh, and let them know that. Yes, I was just writing bad code. So, uh, not the first time, won't be the last. Um, this next one I'm going to also talk about too. Then I'm going to let let you talk about a few. Andrew is um, Andrew Connell did a post on what's next for the SharePoint framework, and this is actually based on um, the Patterns and Practices group that's been so popular has actually branched, and they have kind of these. Um, area of interest, they, these kind of interest groups. In fact, they I think they call them special interest groups. So they have, the PNP group has special interest groups for like PowerShell development, and they have one specific for the SharePoint framework and JavaScript. And uh, they do monthly calls. So we've mentioned this in the past, but you should definitely check these out if you're interested in these. But uh, this week, or this month's special interest group call, Vesa Yuvanen spent some time kind of going over like what the vision is for where the SharePoint framework goes next. You know, this first iteration, it's really just web parts and, um, you know, kind of being able to do custom property panes with those, with those web parts. And so he goes into a lot of detail on that special interest group call. What Andrew did, you know, uh, we had Andrew Connell on a few weeks back, and Andrew's building an entire training series on the SharePoint framework. He did a really good job of summarizing that call. So if you'd rather just kind of read this, and, and I co actually couldn't find a link to uh, the recording. I don't know if they record those uh, special interest group calls. I know that in uh, Andrew's blog post, he actually posted, he recorded it on his own and posted it to YouTube. So there's a link at the bottom of, of this post where you can get to the recording. So ultimately, this post is the post for you. It not only summarizes it, but if you want to listen to it, there's a link for it in here. Um, and so it talks about all of what they're thinking about doing next with this. Yeah, this is a very cool post, and, and, and he's, done, he's done a great job with it. I think that actually might be a... Um it might be an official recording on that YouTube channel there, not not Andrew's recording. It, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that that's pretty neat. Very cool indeed. Um, there's uh, there's some cool stuff going around. That we you and I have been talking about some of the stuff Michael uh, Svensson's been doing, uh, and uh, he's done a neat post on uh, Exchange Online, Azure AD, and Office three six five group creation, and and quite a comprehensive one on on uh, how to go about doing that. I think this is this is definitely worth checking out. Um, he talked. He goes. He goes through. The difference and the, the the similarities between the various types of groups, you know, his his uh, his, his lead image is a, a bit of eight um, bit text that says a group is a group is a group, but it's actually not. And he talks about why and and what what groups are and and how that difference between a an office exchange online group and a, uh, a, a an office three six five group and an Azure AD group uh, all works together. And I guess you know you can start throwing some more groups in there as well. I mean teams are based on groups as well, so that, that's that's pretty neat stuff. Yeah, we we don't make it easy, do we? <laughs> I like the fact that we call them all the same thing. That's my favorite thing that we do. Is just just name everything the same, and people can guess what we're talking about. Yeah, well, I, I don't even understand it, so I'm gonna have to read Michael's post in more detail. Definitely worth checking out. Speaking of Michael, by the way, I noticed that he's speaking at um, SharePoint Saturday in Munich on the fourth of March. So if you're uh, particularly in Germany, but anywhere actually uh, where you can get to München from uh, from from uh, from a in a reasonably uh, uh, sensible amount of time then check that out 4th of March SharePoint Saturday I've got a, a link to that in the show notes as well Michael's talking about Power Apps and Flow uh, and pretty much uh, uh, there's, a, there's a great uh, a great set of uh, of talks going on on that day so check that out yeah we're yeah. going to try to have him as a guest on the, the podcast it's he, it's a little bit challenging where there's a there's a tool where you can go and look at different time zones of the world and what are good meeting times try to do uh He's in Norway, uh, Coatsy's in Sydney, Australia, and I'm in Texas. Go figure that one out. It's yeah. not an easy uh, task of finding a good meeting time, but we're, we're going to try to make it work and get Michael on. He's been a, a, such a great community contributor that uh, we'd really like to have him on. It's very cool indeed. And the other one I want to put, call out here is um, 
is uh, is one that I'm, I'm sure most people are going to go, oh, duh, but has saved me recently a bunch of time. I've only just discovered the fact that Chrome has got this concept of multiple persons, multiple personalities, and you can switch between them and have them running simultaneously. Now, as, a, as an Office 365 developer or anyone who does anything with identity on the web, I've usually got at least two instances of each browser running, one in uh, in private mode and one in one in uh, normal mode, because you want to be logged in as different people. Uh, I didn't realize, but you can just change persons in Chrome up in the top right-hand corner, and you can have as many of those as you like, uh, and each of those will have a different set of... Uh, you, you can run you know, completely separately from each of those, so that's pretty neat. I've got a link to the, the Chrome... The Chrome um, uh, 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 docs to show you how to do that. It's very, very simple. Uh, and I, you know, one of those things where I feel like hitting myself upside the head a couple of times for not knowing that earlier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're being very restrained, Rich. Oh, <laughs> uh, no comment. Again, again, we don't, we don't necessarily make it easy on you. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. I noticed that uh, that, our, that our mates at Rencore have got their third episode of their tech talks up. Uh, about uh, getting to know Feature Pack 1 for SharePoint 2016. Uh, they've, got, had, they've got Trevor Stewart on the show. I haven't, haven't listened to that yet, but I'm looking forward to, to getting a chance to, to having that one flowing through the earphones at some stage as well. Cool. And then Is finally, the, else? the last one I had was, um, uh, a guy I had, don't know, but, uh, but, but I came across it looked, uh, looked pretty interesting. Uh, Robin, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to muck this name up, uh, Gudem Fennick. Um, from Germany is, uh, has done a, a, quite a nice post on creating SharePoint Enterprise wiki pages with CSOM. Uh, so I've got a link to that up there as well. I always love finding uh, people in the community I didn't know about before and, and, uh, and, and calling their work out. So I don't know if you know Robin, but I, but I don't, uh, don't recognize that name. You, you like how I let you try to pronounce it and I, I kind yeah. of stood back and... I, I think it means golden penny. I, I, could, have that, I could have that wrong. Golden Fennec. Uh, is I'm, and I'm sure I've mucked up that pronunciation. But Robin, it's thank way you. Way better than I could have gotten. But, uh, <laughs> I'm from Texas. I don't know. I can't do that. So anyway, well, speaking about Texas, since we kind of already halfway introduced him, I'll go ahead and and introduce him again. One of my favorite blue badgers and a fellow Texan, Mr. Kirk Evans. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. And apologies for the awkward uh, brief introduction before. <laughs> we're, we're glad you love us. You know what can I say? <laughs> my my son is going to his first concert. Um, How awesome is with, that? Without parents, it's a Twenty One Pilots concert. He's incredibly excited, and as parents, we're incredibly nervous. So, uh, <laughs> very happy for him. Oh, that's cool, indeed, man. Where are they playing? Um, here in, uh, I think it's the American Airlines Center here uh-huh. in, uh, here in Dallas, Texas. Ah, very nice indeed. Very cool, man. It's, it's an exciting rite of passage. It is. It, it, it's, as a parent, it's still difficult for me to, to, uh, cut the apron strings a little bit and let them go, but <laughs> I got to let them grow up at some point. Absolutely. Coachy, what was your, what was your first concert? Oh man, I, I have to admit, I, I was always a classical music nerd, so I've been to concerts all the time growing up uh, but they were mainly mainly concerts at the Sydney Opera House with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra or so, that sort of thing I, I was uh, what was the first band how about the first band I, mean, I, I, I probably played in the first band that I it, it's funny because I, I well so the, the first big one I remember was the police at uh, at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, oh, that's that was, a good one. That was a good concert, and, and uh, I was I was a bit of a, a bit of a fan, I have to say, as, as many people of my age were at, at that stage. I wouldn't say I was uh, wouldn't say I was on my own with that, but yeah, that was that was one of the early ones. Uh, and you know, there's something about um, something about Sting's songwriting that uh, that really that really stuck with me. Wow, Kurt, how about you? First first concert, ACDC. Nice. All right. Well, I'm embarrassed. We're gonna move on. All right. So. <laughs> What was yours? Come on, My first concert was a country concert because I'm from Texas and it was Clint Black and it was all about a girl. So oh, we'll I would totally go to a Clint Black um, concert. Actually, I've been to lots of country concerts. Just ACDC was a, my high school. Uh, but I, went, I, I think the, the third concert I went to was Hank Williams Jr. Nice. Nice. Well, well, Kirk, I, I, you're definitely not a stranger to me. I, I joke about, you know, again, you being my developer man crush, but um, you, uh, some of our listeners may not know who you are, so why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? 
Um, I joined Microsoft back in 2004, and oddly enough, one of the one of the first people that I met in my uh, in my new group in developer platform evangelism was was Coatsy. Um, we were at an offsite. Uh, all the DPE folks had, had come up there, and um, I got to I got to meet him and hang out with him, and uh, thought he was really cool. So I started developer platform evangelism. And was a developer evangelist for I don't know about four years. Then that, and then moved over to become an architect evangelist. And the group that I was focused on was trying to win the hearts and minds of developers. And to do that, uh, the developers that I was working with weren't terribly interested in um, in desktop apps or you know Windows Forms at the time. Uh, they were really interested in um, enterprise-y type solutions. I, I focused on communication sector, which is media um, and also the telcos. So AT&T, Verizon were, were big customers as well as Disney, Time Warner. And those customers were really looking at enterprise integration and, and um, interop of systems. And my previous passion was trying to interop things around the Microsoft platform to Java and Corba backends. And then when SOAP came out, I kind of fell in love and, and uh, inhaled and <laughs> did all the <laughs> web service. Yeah, I did inhale. All the web services and SOAP stuff. Thought it was uh, thought that was the future. WS Security, I just thought that was amazing. And then this really cool thing called Indigo, which later became the Windows Communication Foundation, came out. And I was hooked. I just loved WCF and tried to do just absurdly deep, cool things with it. And Windows Workflow Foundation um, also came out. Incredibly cool stuff. I just loved it, and I was talking about it at every user group, everything that I could. And the problem that I had was my, my customers thought it was neat, but they weren't adopting it really at all. Sarah so was kind of sitting on my hands with um, all this esoteric WCF and WF knowledge, and um, and just weird .NET internals, and a uh, my boss said, yeah, I need some some help with a customer that has a SharePoint. I was like, I don't I don't know Share I don't I don't want to do SharePoint. And he's like, Well, I don't see you doing a whole lot else with all this WF and WCF stuff. So I need you to go talk to this customer about workflows in SharePoint. So um, that's kind of where that started was. Um, trying to tr- uh, troubleshoot and debug workflows on a platform that I'd never even really touched before. Nice. So, so was this like uh, SharePoint 2007, 2010? Yes. Okay, 2007. Yeah, it was actually 2007 was in beta at the time. Okay. And we were, um, we were, WF was still hush-hush, hadn't been announced yet. And so we were working back when it was the WinOE team. And we were working when they were originally doing WF integration into the platform. And this was back, um, like, Atlanta, right? You were in Atlanta at the time? Yes. Yeah, I was living in Atlanta at the time. And, um, yeah, I did that for a little bit. And I always was more of a developer, but kept leaning towards, you know, well, this customer wants to do this other crazy thing with SharePoint. And I started seeing a way to take all my ASP.NET web forms um, experience and weird.net, but more importantly, looking at it from the opportunity of integration. Because I loved that you could use like the SOAP APIs and and stuff to be able to integrate with SharePoint as kind of a platform. So um, after doing that for a little while, I'd, and really focusing on, on SharePoint for a couple years, I... I was looking at the direction that DPE was going. At the time, they were less and less focused on technology. They were more focused on go establish a user group and you know get lots of likes to a blog post. And I, that wasn't exactly the direction that I wanted to go. So I moved over to a group called Premier Field Engineering, which was um, a kind of a, a branch of our support organization. It's been about three years there, and that's that. Rich, that's where you and I worked together on the uh, the Ignite training for developers. Yeah, and uh, that's when we announced the the new uh, app model. I'm sorry, add-in model. <laughs> A little gentle rub there to Chris Johnson for renaming <laughs> it. <laughs> um, 
And and at the time, while I was doing developer stuff, that I had a similar challenge as what I had back in DPE, where here were the things that I was interested in. SharePoint 2013 was still in in, in beta. We were learning all the app development model and then trying to go out and tell customers about it. They, it's really hard to go justify that to your boss when your job is you know, to work with existing customers and improve their their uh, their operations today. So I, I was kind of faced with a challenge. I couldn't really fa- focus on just all the developer stuff. I also had to really deep dive into infrastructure. So a uh, challenge for my boss was go obtain this uh, certification called the Microsoft Certified Master. So wow. I spent uh, a lot of time trying to dive deep and, and learn uh, Active Directory, SQL, and, and Windows internals to, to actually run, run SharePoint solutions. And um, after... It took me almost what two years <laughs> to to finally obtain the certificate. Man, that was a that was a hard cert to get to. So, so for people who don't know, the master's the, the the master's certifications in I think in SharePoint and in SQL and in Windows were the three that I know about were serious, hard, deep deep technical training and 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 and, and certification. All right, the, the 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 two or three people I know who've got a a, a, a Microsoft master's certification really, really know the product deeply. Greg Lowe is one of those guys who knows, who's a SQL Server guru. Um, uh, actually, my, my brother James, who was a PFE as well, uh, got it in, in Windows and you in, in SharePoint. People who really, really know the product at a, at a, at a fundamental level for, for those various things. That's actually an achievement to be pretty proud of, but it's also a, a great deal of knowledge you've gained. Well, and the interesting thing is there's no more humbling experience than to participate in that program to find out exactly how little you actually know <laughs> because the people that are teaching it actually really deeply know it. Right. And it was um, – so, the, yeah, the, the, the course was you, – first you had to pass, I think it was four Microsoft Learning certs, you know, the, the ones you go right. to, the testing center, mm-hmm. pass two were infrastructure, two were dev. Not too terribly difficult. And then you had, once you went through a panel interview and you realized just how little that you understood, that you understood about the platform and they somehow accepted you, you then went for three weeks of on-site training inside a classroom. So it was Monday through Friday, uh, somewhere about like 8 a.m. to about 6 p.m. with just information Fire hose from people like Vesa, Spence Harbor, Neil Hodgkinson, Bill Bear, um, and uh, uh, Todd Beginsky uh, taught us. Right. Uh, Todd Carter, just some of these just insanely deep people on on the platform teaching us. It was um, it was information overload. So amazing, amazing experience getting to learn from some of the some of the brightest minds around around the SharePoint platform. Yeah, one of the things I'll, I'll jump in there that like, yeah. not not to by any means discount some of the other master's programs because there were a number of them. There was a linked master's program, and and I'm sure they're very similar in a lot of ways. But one thing I think you have to understand is like the breadth of SharePoint is just so insane that 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 I personally think that the SharePoint master's program was probably like one of the hardest ones to achieve in fact so much so like some of the smartest people i know I, in fact i don't i don't know that anyone or there were very few people that actually would pass this the first time like almost everyone failed it i mean it was one of those things that it was just like so much information and so deep that um it was just like i i, I heard uh and maybe you can confirm this is that like some people actually like in in cramming for the master's program actually ended up in the hospital because it was so demanding on you. I know one of those. I'm not going to say his name, but yes, <laughs> I, um, I I do know one of those that ended up in the hospital for it. And so the the cramming for it, that was kind of the problem because they, they actively discourage you from, from cramming because they said, if you don't know it already, you're not going to know it by the time that we start asking you deep questions on it. And so they gave us a a written test, and I passed the written part. But then there was a qualification lab, which was about eight hours of. Uh, well, I mean the the program's discontinued now, so I guess I can I can talk about it. Um, 
it was about eight hours of uh, basically here's a here's a broken SharePoint farm, and here's all the different tasks that you have to do, and here's another SharePoint farm that you have to upgrade, and you have about eight hours to do the amount of work that typically consultants would scope out six to eight weeks for. Wow. It was it was it was it was insane. it was a beating. So it was fun. Uh, it was a great learning experience. I failed the qual lab twice. Got it on the third try. If I didn't pass it the third try, I would have had to take the entire program over. Wow. Um, so I was really happy that I that I passed it on the third try. So if if we haven't like gotten our listeners interested in the master's program yet, I'll I'll go ahead and jump in and say that. Well, wait, they it actually really matter anymore. We discontinued it. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is unfortunately as as like. As I think one of the best programs we've ever had in terms of really giving someone the recognition of become of of reaching like the highest level of achievement, uh, they unfortunately discontinued that program. So the however many masters there are right now, that's uh, there's there's no way of adding new ones. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a – the good thing is that there's kind of a, a finite alumni group, so <laughs> we all get together and commiserate about uh, – we, we, we sure do miss the, the late nights in the lab somewhere about midnight screaming, cussing about why can't I get this freaking thing to work. And um, Yeah, so did, I was in Premier Field Engineering, and so the, the MTM really did benefit – that uh, my role there because a lot of it was supporting customers. Um, one of the customers that I had, Rich, was one that you and I both worked on was Chesapeake Energy. And they did a lot of great case studies and um, things for the SharePoint platform. But they also had some really crazy performance requirements that um, I needed to not only be able to help with the infrastructure side and be able to you know, be able to actually run and operate and administer uh, a large SharePoint farm. But also the developer stuff came in great because then I had to learn things like, uh, you know, debugging using um, WinDBG and how to grab memory dumps and be able to read through them and try to identify weird issues. So that was that was a fantastic job. So if anybody is ever, you know, looking at, how to get to how to get to the next level, especially looking at something like um, you know, I want to go in deep into the Windows platform or developer stuff. Our support organization is a fantastic place because you get some insanely deep skills on things like user user mode debugging at times, even kernel mode debugging, um, and being able to do run state operations and administration of a system. Where you don't have Visual Studio installed on the on the system, that you, right. you need to be able to be able to gather data without affecting the run state of the of the system. Very very cool. I, I have to say that that for uh, for the first seven or eight years that I was working at Microsoft, we were located on the same floor as the as the support guys, and just walking past and listening to the conversations they were having, not only with their customers but with each other, was always educational. There's always something cool you could learn about the, the neat stuff they were doing. They were so deep into the product. I, I loved I loved those uh, those wanders along the hallways, just just hanging outside some of the cubicle, just listening in on what they were talking about was 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 great fun. So after after I left PFE, I went over to a group in our consulting services. It was called an Azure Center of Excellence. And I, when I was there, I got to work on um, how do I take SharePoint and host it inside Azure Virtual Machines. And I worked with the product teams on that. Um, and some of that knowledge uh, really applied, but also being able to help debug things like scripts that were were used to try to deploy all this stuff. And and the, the, the tie-in there is that I frequently had to go back and work with colleagues that were in uh, Premier Foot Engineering because we had to do things like how do you do um, disk performance measurements, especially with SQL Server when SharePoint's under load, how do you go back and measure um, the the performance. So I had to work with SQL Premier Field Engineers and then Active Directory Premier Field Engineers and we we're trying to do um, DR farms and how would you split that between two completely different Azure regions and do failover. That means how would you tie those two Active Directory uh, instances together with with uh, with replication and how do you monitor manage that? All, some 
really, really deep, brilliant guys being able to work with those. And that was and, I, I, just jumping in there. Like that was one of the kind of one of the main topics of our discussion that I wanted to talk about today was was how you kind of shifted from being like kind of a, a super super deep SharePoint uh, engineer, I would say, and developer, and kind of making the transition to more things on Azure. And this kind of, I would say, like in your career journey, in a lot of ways was pivotal because you were starting to kind of venture more specifically on a title that was Azure related, like working specifically with Azure, although it still had a lot of tie-ins with SharePoint, you were kind of making that journey towards Azure at this point. Absolutely. That, that was extremely intentional. Not only that, but I started out in our evangelism group, and I was there for about seven years total. Then while I was there, uh, I, I really wanted to experience different parts of the organization. So that's why I went over to Premier Foot Engineering and Support. And then after that, uh, I went over to MCS with, uh, with the Center of Excellence. It was all intentional. Not only I wanted to gravitate towards Azure and cloud because it was it was really easy to see even back then. Uh, that was almost what, four years ago now. Uh, it was really easy to see that that was the future of the company. That's where we're going. So um, I, I I quickly wanted to jump over and grab onto Azure as quickly as I could. And it was kind of easy to say, you know, here's all my weird SharePoint knowledge. Let's see if we have any customers that want to do this in Azure. I worked with a with a few really early adopters and were able to do some kind of really fun stuff. But one of the things that we kind of saw was, you know what, it's really not that hard to run virtual machines in Azure. Um, it, it got to be a known quantity, especially once we started to introduce things like go into the Azure marketplace, click a button, and it spits out a whole SharePoint farm. That kind of made my job obsolete at that point. So the the next step was, well, what else is there? And my, my boss handed me this incredibly cool project, which was a, um, I guess, a, a solution to be able... I, I, have a, I have trouble even explaining this thing. Uh, it was a, just a really giant solution to try to demo to customers the capabilities of Azure. And uh, things like being able to log on to... Um, to a service seems really simple today because you know we have Azure AD and OAuth and all that stuff. At the time when we were doing this, we had this thing called Azure ACS. Before we had container service, we had a different ACS, and that thing was the thing that issued tokens. And the the APIs for this were not very friendly. And tying that over to to Active Directory required some just PowerShell acrobatics. Yeah, and <laughs> And then being able to then do things like, okay, we're going to create a mobile app, and this mobile app is going to talk to an Azure backend. Well, then we had to we had to figure out how do you do multi-platform applications way before we purchased Xamarin. How would you do, um, you know, an application where you can have a the uh, the name of the library is skipping my mind. I haven't worked with mobile in a while, but it's. Um, Having a library that basically can be compiled for platform neutral and can be used across multiple types of devices. Portable class library. Yes, portable. That's it. Oh, portable class libraries. PCL. So, um, got to learn that, and then um, while we're working with mobile services, at the time they didn't have any kind of offline capability. So, we had to roll our own. Um, I, I think it was a. Uh, uh, is a SQL derivative. Again, skipping my mind. Um, I, I'm getting old here. Um, <laughs> so getting to work with all these crazy technologies and also working with Angular, had never worked with that before, working with um, uh, Azure Web Apps and SQL Database, and it really got me into the PaaS side of things. So before I had been focused, really laser-focused on SharePoint running it myself as an admin, installing it in a virtual machine and managing that infrastructure, and then doing some developer-y stuff on top of that. This is the first time where I saw, holy smokes, you can you write code, you can use an existing service, and you don't have to worry as much about managing. You still have to manage it. Um, I learned that one fairly quickly as well. Um, any of the marketing stuff you saw that says, 
you don't have to manage your stuff once it's deployed in the cloud. They're fibbing. <laughs> um, you still have diagnostics and logging, and it, now you also have to um, start worrying about uptime. Right. Where before, you can make assumptions that, well, if the system goes down, then users can't even get to my app in the first place, so who cares? Well, now, that's not necessarily the case. You have systems that you're interacting with that have transient faults, and you need to be able to handle a blip in the matrix from your application. <laughs> so I, I really got into resiliency and being able to consume these applications and being able to you know, leverage different patterns from our patterns of practice team. And how would you code an application such that if the database goes away, that you can have multiple retries until it comes back or present some type of meaningful error to the user? So that led to uh, after I was in the Azure Center of Excellence group, I moved over to another team, which is uh, the Azure Customer Advisory Team, or CAT team. And in the CAT team, our job is to work with um, either the largest Azure adopters or sometimes they're small but extremely important Azure adopters. Or the other one that we get is when customers um, experience you know, outages, like we had a, an outage in, in, uh, for storage that impacted customers. As those customers were affected, of course, they then you know, contacted uh, Satya and, and Scott Guthrie and let them know that they were none too pleased. So we were the ones that go out and handle those escalations to make sure that, uh, make sure that the, those customers become happy. So in, in, uh, I know that th- there's a number of people on the SharePoint side of the house that, are like sh- that uh, our community probably recognizes that are SharePoint cats. So people like uh, Steve Walker, Vesey Yuvanen was in uh, SharePoint cat for a while. Uh, Neil Hodgkinson was there. Yep. I'm, I'm not sure. Some of that I think is, is, has shifted a little bit around. But the, ultimately, you're kind of in the same type of role, but in like deep, deep Azure Paz space now. Absolutely, and that's um, so. When you have like some crazy, you know, we have an issue with with SharePoint search crawl, and um, you know, it, it's something that's just not documented or you know something that's customer impacting. That was something that Neil Hodgkinson likely got involved with, and helped debug and manage and and also work with engineering directly to say, all right, here's a problem, here's a suggested fix. Um, and so not only he knew it very deeply, such that what we don't want to do is take our developers away from building new product and have to manage support type uh, interactions. So right. our group is actually part of the engineering team, where um, instead of we take developers off their tasks of improving the service, we once we identify you know where the issues are, what the likely fix is, then we interact with them and say, all right, now how, how can we get either hotfix, release, patch, whatever. Or sometimes it leads to, um, here's a new service idea, such as um, one of the things that our, our group worked closely with engineering um, on. I'm not saying I did it. I'm saying our group as a whole uh, worked closely to uh, a, a service that's in Azure. It's called Azure Advisor, which is kind of a best practices and analyzer over Azure to say, as you deploy assets in Azure, helps identify what are some of the best practices, such as a virtual machine needs to be in an availability set. Uh, you need to have you know, storage uh, separated for all the different virtual machines. So it, it'll go through and do health and rules checks against your services to make sure that you have them deployed in a way that you're not shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Well- so I came from consulting, and, and I always joke that consultants are like, they, they have to be the overnight experts. Um, like, I feel in a way like what CAT does is, like, you're kind of at an extreme. You're almost like the consultants to engineering. So you have to be the overnight experts to help, like, support what engineering has done, and not just, like, like what a typical consultant in the field might do. Um, and I think, like, reading your blog is a is a really good showcase of that you're you're one of the bloggers that i've followed really closely over the years and like to me there's such diversity especially since you've come into uh doing stuff in the azure Paz space you know I'll, I'll see something 
you know, posted around like what you're doing around delivering an IoT solution. And the next week, it's something that is more around like, you know, security and Azure Key Vault and, uh, you know, availability groups around, you know, some sort of solution. It's kind of um, very, very diverse. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is like, like what tips do you have for like someone that might come from the office dev or SharePoint world that wants to expand their knowledge into some of these Azure PaaS offerings? Um, there is nothing better than an MSDN subscription. Uh, that, I'm not in sales or marketing, but um, the truth is you, you're not really going to learn it until you get your hands on it. So you can do like a Azure trial subscription that'll give you like th- uh, 30 days of of usage. But if you have an MSDN sub, you typically get a recurring um, somewhere like 100 or 150 US per month to spend. So you can spin up virtual machines, you can try that out, start to work with networking, learn how that works. But more importantly, then you start doing things like spin up an Azure SQL database and just use it and then see, holy smokes, that's cool. And then um, go into the, you know, move, go into the portal and start clicking around and how do I then do replication and failover and holy smokes, I have a database running in East US and another one Japan and failover was as easy as clicking a, a, a button. So I don't have to know Azure SQL always on availability groups and all that stuff anymore. It's now a button. And how do I do that from an API? And then how do I how do I call the database? How do I do transient fault? All that stuff is, it, you'll start learning that, but you have to just start getting your hands dirty. I and, want to come back to something Rich said, though. Uh, one of the things that I, I've always admired about you is, is your extensive blogging. And that seems to be one of the things you've done to help your learning to, to, to I guess, uh, to, to, to write down the things that, the things that you've learned to help, to help cement it in your mind. Is that something you'd reckon is, is a useful technique for others? Well, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. As, as I get older, you saw as I was um, going through, I started uh, blanking on different technology names, <laughs> and I do that with code concepts all the time. I go back and I start searching, and I'll actually find my own blog, and I'll like smack myself in the head like, oh, I can't believe that. That's, 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 a, that's a large black item in the back of my brain somewhere. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'll write it down, but it, like like everybody else probably listening to this, especially if you're a dev, you go read like some MSDN article or docs or, or a walkthrough, and we'll have, um, you know, step one is, you know, conceive business plans. Step two, um, send out marketing material. Step three, make money. You know, they, they yeah. completely yeah. miss the, how the heck did you actually do that part? <laughs> and so... Yeah, we also call it the Julia Childs moment where she just pulls the beautiful stuffed turkey out of the oven and, oh, look, you're done. Here's one I prepared so, earlier, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of times, I not to, not to give away all my secrets, but a lot of times you can probably go find an MSDN document somewhere that is very close to what I did but is missing a whole bunch of steps like – how did you create that virtual machine or how did you deploy that template or you just mentioned a bunch of code, but you didn't explain anywhere what any of that does or where it came from. So just like everybody else, I get frustrated at our do- documentation and usually it's once I figure something out, I just think, oh, that's that's really cool and I don't see this anywhere else. Let me write it down real quick. Maybe it'll help somebody else, but selfishly, it's also so that it, it can uh, help me as I continue to age <laughs> Very cool. I'm I'm looking at MSDN right now. Both Kirk and I blog on MSDN. I I you know there's there's lapses in my blogging where I'll go months without blogging. But in general, if you spread it out, I typically like my average is probably a post a month or something like that. So MSDN gives uh, contributors po- points. It's like a point system. I don't know what it's even good for, but. Uh, it's not good. you don't trade it in for anything. I think it's just like reputation. I have nine thousand some odd points. I'm looking at Kirk Evans right now. You have a hundred and thirteen thousand total points. Well, most of that is my mom furiously clicking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy She's that. I don't buy drive that. up page views. That's all that is. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I think um, you know. You, like I said, I think you've had such diversity. I, I'm curious, just uh, like over time, like 
you know, I know that I could probably point to one of the more popular blog posts that I've had. What is like, what's been like one of the most popular blog posts you've had in terms of like people commenting or sharing or or whatever? Um, uh, the statistic stuff that I had, uh, probably the the first one was um, how to how to connect from Visual Studio to Oracle. It's just a a stupid thing that we have documented probably a hundred different places. None of them are consistent and none of them actually walk through and show you click here, go download this, do this. So I just said how to install, I think it was the Oracle ODB, ODP provider. <laughs> and this is like back in like 2008 or something a long, long time ago. And it got an insane number of hits, like got slash dotted because people were like, finally somebody wrote this down. It slash dotted for all those young users. It used to be a website, <laughs> kind of like Reddit today. Um, so, um, and then, so another one was where I explained um, this how how SharePoint um, uh, hostname site collections works. Oh, nice! And there wasn't a whole lot of really good documentation out there. There were sparse documents, but the same kind of thing where they just said, oh, and magically, you know, lift the veil and here's the thing that's done without explaining in, in between how it all works. So when I did that, um, traffic went up a bit and then um, folks like Todd Clint and Spence Harbor started talking about it and all of a sudden page views went through the roof. It, it always called Spence the uh, slash dot effect. Whenever he talked about <laughs> something, your page views go ridiculously high. Nice. So yeah, I've um, and embarrassingly, I haven't blogged in in a while. I, I think one of the last things I I wrote about was Key Vault, and just because I was really kind of enamored with that, I was working on a project with a customer, and uh, like most of my blogs, I usually start out in the intro. I'm working on something with a customer, and this came up. I didn't know the answer, and I went to look it up, and either the stuff that I found wasn't incredibly intuitive or, um, you know, there was a sample out there without any description. So kind of just put that together, not only to show somebody else, but also help me remember later. Cause I thought it, what the, the part that I did once is, is one of the, one of the coolest feelings as a developer, when you do something new and you sit back, you're like, Ooh, that worked. That's so cool. I can't believe like the, the devs who wrote all this framework stuff should be jumping up and down, showing everybody, look what I just made. And yeah. I think that part doesn't really come out of, of Redmond as much as it needs to. So that's that's a bit of what what I do is as I stumble across something and we can't find docs for it, I just try to write it down. So what is your I'm, – I'm curious, since you're now in, in this land that is so expansive in Azure, like, like it's it, – to me it's almost impossible to – have a like we have them but like have an just a general azure certification because of how broad that platform has gotten it's like you know sure you might know everything that's out there but at probably like a hundred hundred foot level like what what do you feel um like what's next like what what area of azure are you interested in going deeper in in this next year the stuff that really amazes me is machine learning and I realized that I am just woefully unprepared for it. Um, so I am i am not a data scientist, not in the least bit. You know what it in takes fact, to I, be a data scientist? What's that? A statistics major and a Mac. <laughs> well, strangely enough, you ask about the things that I'm interested in. One of the things I want to get is a Mac. It, it, it's like... I almost vomited a little bit as I said that because I am a <laughs> lifer. I, I am. Um, I got the implants, tattoos, everything. Like I, when when Bomber used to stand up and say, "I love this company," I'd be that guy yelling, "Me too." And the idea of me now, like full 360, like okay, yeah, I've been doing Windows and all this stuff for so long. What else is out there? And what alternatives do we have? So. Um, you know, if you're starting to look at machine learning, well, you got to get that data from somewhere. And that's that's the really cool part is when that data comes in, you have so many options for whether you're going to do like, um, you know, you're going to use event hubs and stream analytics, the, stuff, the services that we have in Azure, 
or you can use things like Kafka and Storm, and you can start to use open source. And what are the benefits of each? And then that that as I kept going down that that wormhole, one of the things that really smacked me in the face was I I almost everything of the projects that I the, not only the projects that I'm working on with customers, but the projects that I start. You know, looking at are all open source and run on Linux, and that was that was one of those aha moments where I kind of figured this this is one of those areas that the industry is kind of going towards. There's there's still a lot of Windows out there, a lot of Windows developers. Um, absolutely, I'm not saying that that's a that's a dying skill. I'm just saying that there's a whole lot of Linux developers out there as well, and being being able to do both is going to give me a lot more career options than if I just limit myself to one platform. So I started learning Linux and Node and I've I've um I've dabbled with with Node before, haven't done anything extremely serious and lately I've been trying to dive into it. Um and trying to trying to understand how do people build cloud solutions when they don't have Windows and Visual Studio as their crutch. Hence, one of the things that I was saying, I kind of want to get a Mac. Um, I want to see how would you how would you run like Visual Studio Code or Sublime or, or some other editor? How would you use that and still be productive against Azure? And what is that experience like? And how can we improve that for those audiences as well? So yeah, that's that's kind of my background. My the my career has always been kind of figuring out what do I think is next? Where am I feeling pressure that we should be moving to an area whether it was you know early on developer realizing nobody wanted the skills that I had and moving to here's somewhere where I could actually use them to moving from um, evangelism over to support or you know over to kind of almost like a salesy role in MCS and then back over to a support role in Azure Cat uh, but each one is kind of moving from field to corp or moving to a different area, but also trying to keep making sure that I'm trying to keep a two to three year vision of where things are. So not lot don't I think probably the number one advice a bit of advice that I would tell a developer today, don't lock yourself in to one thing. Make sure that you're watching for other trends and things that are of interest and keep your keep your dev mind open because one day where you think something is is the end all be all and everybody should should use this like i i was with soap way back when all of a sudden it's you know your everything except xml angle brackets is being used today so make sure that you keep an eye out for new trends things like bots and that's why i think teams is so amazing it's like a consolidation of everything that i use in one single view i I'm I'm kind of high on on uh, on Skype Teams right, or I'm sorry, Microsoft Teams right now. I was, was going to say that I think that the the thing that, I, that that stands out for me is how deliberate you've been around your around your career, and how you've actually had a plan and think thought about what's what's going on next and 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 where you want to be in two or three years time. And that, that, perhaps that's something that as developers we generally don't do so much. We we're, we're so focused on the things that we know right now that we don't necessarily look that far into the future. I keep doing this hopscotch thing with our sales team, like I, you know, double dutch, where you're just trying to figure out when do you jump into the jump rope, and I just haven't been able to convince myself into into a sales type role. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll see. But right now, I'm really happy as just being a, a technical nerd to help uh, big, you know, big important customers doing really cool stuff on our platform. Right now, I'm in that weird position that I don't have that next three year for a career move. I have it for technical. I kind of see where I want to be. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, that that's exactly where uh, Satya keeps telling everybody, this is where it's going. Come along with us. And so that message is loud and clear where it's not just a web app talking to a database anymore. Now it's web app talking to a database that you can start to harvest information and predict different outcomes for that that to me is just amazing that we've made it so easy to start adopting so i think that's the next part to to focus on is is ai now the problem is 
where does that lead itself from from a career perspective? Is it evangelism? Is it support? Or uh, it makes me shudder a little bit. Is it sales? <laughs> I'm not a suit and tie type guy. So yeah, keep your options open, guys. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, I I we've seen a lot of people take a similar path. Although I I would say you have definitely done it on the deepest technical side. So you know, even Jeremy Thake, who we've had back on the show recently and founded the show. You know, he ventured into the Azure space a little bit before going and, and doing, you know, the startup with Chris Johnson. But, you know, I I know we have lots of SharePoint developers on here. I'm I'm still a SharePoint developer. Kirk still dabbles there on occasion. But, you know, I, to me, I joke around with insider friends and I say, you know, if this is all I ever did and I didn't venture into anything else, I'm really becoming the future Lotus Note developer, you know? Yep. <laughs> Right. Yep. So, so you know, definitely, uh, hopefully this show, the whole purpose of this show and having Kirk on here was, you know, as Kirk has gone on this journey of, you know, kind of venturing into more platform things, this is a developer podcast. And if you're doing development, you really should be looking at other things in the cloud and, and some of those other offerings, whether it's, you know, running solutions in containers or just leveraging some you know, commodity type things like storage or, you know, uh, app services. Uh, hopefully that this show has gotten you maybe interested in, in pursuing some of those uh, different areas and interests. So, Kirk, I know we've, we've, we've had you on here for a while, but uh, I'm, finally, I'm glad we finally were able to, to get you on here and we'll have to have you on again sometime in the future. I am I am just incredibly uh, thankful and honored that y'all would have me on the, team, on the, on the show, guys. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.